When I think about hippies, my first thought is definitely not about lawyers, which is why I'm so excited about today's guest because she's an attorney and a legal coach for entrepreneurs. She really takes a holistic approach to law and business by blending her expertise as a former healthcare attorney in a large corporate law firm with her care and support as a life and health coach to make law easy to understand accessible and affordable with lots of legal love. She is so kind and compassionate and she's a lifelong learner. So we're going to talk a little bit about her work as a lawyer, about maintaining the image and how she became a legal coach for entrepreneurs. But she also did the Harvard Business School online sustainable business strategy course. So we talked about greenwashing and what companies are doing to be more sustainable. It was a really fascinating conversation and it gives me a lot of hope for the future. So please enjoy this conversation with Lisa Fraley. She was absolutely inspirational and uplifting and I hope you love her wisdom and energy as much as I do. You're listening to the Half Hippie Podcast with Tara Milo. I'm a half hippie, half princess, cat mom, city girl, introvert, and entrepreneur. I don't fit into a box, and you don't either, but I'm committed to making the world a better place through my lifestyle and my business. I love talking about sustainability because I know that you can make a positive difference without giving up the things you love. Here on the Half Hippie Podcast, we're talking about sustainability and entrepreneurship. We'll share stories about what makes us all half hippie and what our other half does to make a positive impact in the world. Let's go. What do you think a hippie is? Oh, a hippie is um, someone who I think can be counterculture is a good way to describe it, or someone who marches the beat of their own drum or who... Um, looks at the world through a slightly different lens, obviously, and historically, at least in the U.S., but also around the world. His, hippies have been defined by people as being anti, uh, in, uh, like, um, anti-establishment, anti-big anything. So I think the time frame can define it, but I like to think of that as someone who just looks at life through a different lens. Yeah. That's so perfect. And that's why I wanted to talk to you because you're a lawyer and like, you're so hippie. Like when I talk to you and see you and the work that you do and you put so much soul and energy into it, but it's not hippie to be a lawyer. (laughs) That's so funny, Tara. You're so right. I'm definitely a lawyer who looks at the law through a different lens for sure. Um, (laughs) I love the way you just framed that. That is completely cracking me up. But yes, of course, absolutely. Because I think that, you know, those of us who like to look from the outside in, even though I am a lawyer and I was raised in a big corporate law firm by amazingly talented lawyers, I might add, extremely bright, capable people. But Mm -hmm. there wasn't a lot of room for like my personality. There wasn't a lot of room for anyone's personalities, really, in a big way. Um, Or room for other ideas, or it was just very um, rule-oriented and, and, you had to stay in a certain lane and I get it. Like law obviously is rule oriented, but at the same time, I think there should be more room for bringing in the lighter side of the law or the more feminine side of the law, as I call it, um, in the more masculine structure or the yin yang, depending on what word choice people like. 
you know, there's, there's room to bring love and, and respect and kindness into the law because so many people are afraid of lawyers and afraid of law when really the law is just a tool to help them support their family or support their business or to support their life. It's really not meant to be this cold negative structure unless you're in an adversarial situation, in which case lawyers take an oath to zealously represent their client, which is why you see a lot of lawyers really zealously representing their clients. <laughs> right. But I think there is room for love and light and and respect and kindness in the law as well. Yeah. And that's what you bring to it. I I just love it so much. And when because I use all of your contracts and your disclaimers and all of that. And when people see it, they're like, Tara, this is not I don't know, it's not harsh. It's just very kind. So I love the approach and I'm glad that you found a way to keep your personality and still do this work that you're so passionate about. Thank you, Tara. It's, you know, it's funny because I never would have expected this in a million years. I worked in the big law firm for several years and got excellent training, like I mentioned. And then I actually left the law entirely and worked in nonprofit for 10 years. And then I worked in higher education for four years. And, um, and then I became a health and life coach. And when I was a health and life coach, Actually, it was people in the uh, online space, in the holistic health and wellness space, who basically said, Lisa, we don't, there aren't lawyers who understand what we do. Like most lawyers don't understand the online space or online platforms or entreport or whatever. So yeah. they said, you get it. And I thought, oh boy, <laughs> oh goodness, I hear you tapping on my shoulder universe. I guess I should find a way to pull these two things together. So that's why I like to say that I bring the care and love of a coach into um, working as a lawyer so that people know that I get what they do and they can feel more comfortable and it doesn't have to be as harsh of a process. Yeah, exactly. That's so funny because that that's exactly what happened to me. I was training to be a health coach and nobody understood technology or some of them didn't. And they were like, can yeah. someone help us with this tech stuff? I'm like, oh, I can do that. That's what I do for my my work. So yeah. we had a similar journey so where- Good at it, Tara. You are so good at it. Thank you. <laughs> I try to make it very chill and calm and like, let's feel confident around it. I think yeah. you have this approach. Yes, thank you. I think we're so similar in that way. And I love that um, we've actually met in person and I spent time with you in Portugal, not enough time, but it was, you were a wonderful host and showed us the city and, um, and it was really neat to meet you and to realize in person that we are so similar in terms of helping people with complex topics and making them seem simple. And I know that you have moved into the sustainability space as well. And that's another area that I think is hard for people to wrap their head around sometimes. And yet um, I think you have a knack and a talent for helping to make people understand things that are complicated and put that in simple language. So um, mm. kudos to you, my friend. Excellent. Thank you. Thank you. That's what I'm trying to do here with half hippie is like, Let's just do a little bit better. Just a half. <laughs> yeah, just half better. We don't have to be whole better. Just half better. I love that. Well, isn't that, that's so wise, Tara, right? Because we all start taking small baby steps forward. And I love that you're encouraging people to just, you know, you don't have to dive all the way in, but let's just move that direction. Yeah. So what's something that you do that is 
more hippie, totally hippie, or your favorite hippie thing that you do? Oh my goodness. Again, it all comes back to how you define hippie, but I am a fan of crystals, which some people think are very hippie. Um, I do have rose quartz on my desk and smoky quartz nearby. Um, I am a fan of, I love nature. We live in nature. We live by a lake. We live in the woods. We have nature surrounding us 24 hours a day. And I love bringing the, the outside in. I love bringing the outdoors in. Here's another kind of funny hippie thing. Um, we have a huge flock of turkeys that comes to our yard every day and they get the bird seed that falls under the bird cedars and we talk to the hippies, but we have like a floral bouquet of turkey feathers, which is very hippie. Um, but we love it because turkeys are always, uh, wild turkeys are a symbol of abundance by Native American um, culture. And they just are amazing birds. They Turkeys get sort of a bad rap because Thanksgiving dinner, but they're yeah. really beautiful. Um, they have iridescent, beautiful feathers and they're, they're just, they, the males display so beautifully and they're just neat birds. We're that is bird so over here too. So we're totally into birds. Yeah, I love that. And they're really smart, aren't they? They have like relationships and like oh, communication. Yeah. 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 And it sounds funny too. Um, this They sleep in trees, which maybe people know this, but I never, they roost on the ground, but they, they also um, roost in a tree and their legs lock into position so they don't fall because they're so lopsided. You think they fall right out of the tree, but they lock into position. And they just sleep in the trees. Who knew? That is so cool. I did not know that. They're so big. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I know. So again, some people would think that's kind of hippie to have turkey feathers and crystals in yeah. your uh, legal office, but uh, that's what I do. Oh, I love that. And you guys have a garden, don't you? We do. We. My husband is an incredible gardener. I am not much of a gardener at all. Um, he. I'm sort of the harvester and he does all the hard work of planting and nurturing and loving. Um, but we have five organic gardens. And so we grow our own vegetables in the summer um, and love them because we don't use any pesticides and it's all very natural. And my husband grew up on a large farm and which was actually an organic farm, but before they were certifying things as organic. And so sure. they, um, he knows how to turn the soil and do all the things I don't know how to do, but we have delicious um, vegetables in the summer, which lasts for about five months of the year. Yeah. Yeah. Cause you're in Maine. So. Yeah. But that just shows you can do it anywhere if you can have. Yeah, we have a short, shorter growing season, obviously. <laughs> but we grow tomatoes and kale and lots of different kinds of lettuces and spinach and Swiss chard and peas yeah. and green beans and um, all kinds of rosemary, sage, thyme, um, all kinds of peppers. Like we grow a lot of stuff. It's good. Yeah, that's amazing. Thank you. I love that. Mm, but what's something you do that's definitely not hippie? What's something I do that's not hippie? Yeah. Hmm. Well, um, I am a lawyer. So I also, um, you know, I do have to follow rules and laws. And particularly, um, this is not to say that that this is this is probably bad framing. Like, it's not to say that hippies are not ethical. But I'm just saying sure. lawyers have very strong ethical guidelines and very strong legal guidelines as to what we can and can't do. And that makes it interesting in the online space because there's so much in the online space that people are focused on authenticity and being vulnerable and sharing your whole life story. And lawyers actually are not supposed to be personal. You're not supposed to engage too 
um, closely with your clients, just like therapists aren't and doctors aren't. Like there's a professional relationship that you have to maintain. Um, so, you know, lawyers can't really go out on their dock and lie in their bathing suit and take a picture and put it online. And say, <laughs> today. Like that's just not acceptable. Maybe it could be, that's a whole different conversation, but it's just not. So I do have to follow, kind of stay in the box in some ways, which can be frustrating at times, but I understand, you know, the, there is, again, I know there's some bad apples out there that ruin it for people, but there's a lot of dignity in the legal profession. And there is a, a um, a way of behaving that we have to behave because you have been given power and given um, authority and knowledge of the law. And, and it's a, I look at that as very sacred, actually. It, we have to stay within our lines in, in a lot of ways so that um, people feel safe and so that people aren't harmed and so that we take care of our clients and don't do anything to hurt our clients or to have them perceive something inaccurately. So that's very much in the lines and very much within the establishment. But I also think that that's a, there are good reasons to do that and, and that those ethical guidelines and legal guidelines can be a really good thing, actually. Yeah. Do you feel like you have a good balance around that where you get to share a little bit of yourself, but you're still so professional? Yeah, thank you. I try, yes. Because I think, you know, another hippie thing I do is I align legal steps with the chakras, which yeah, is yeah. very unusual. Um, but there's nothing in the legal ethics guidelines that says that you can't do that. Like, of course, the law can be energetic and practical at the same time. We, we put practical documents in place like contracts and disclaimers and website terms. And we do that so that we have language out there that helps people understand what you do and don't do and, and protects you and protects your business and also empowers your clients to take responsibility for their own life and their own business. Um, but at the same time, there is an energetic quality to the law, and it does help you create stronger boundaries and shift how you show up energetically in your business. So I think I found a way to blend the two. And I am a Gemini, so it makes perfect sense to me that I have both these sides of me. Um, but here, I think that's the special sauce. And, and that's what, where the magic lies, is that we can take something that's traditionally viewed as being very structural and masculine and, and firm and establishment and combine it with lighter side, the more feminine side, the more yin side and bring the two together. Yeah, that's so true. That's perfect. I love your alignment with the chakras and it makes sense. It's not even a stretch the way you do it. Like it's really, really cool. <laughs> Thank you. Well, it did take me about two years before I would share that with anyone other than clients. And I think you knew behind the scenes, but, um, most people I did not feel comfortable just putting out in a social media blog post or a blog post or an e-newsletter that I align legal steps with the chakras. It took me a while to strengthen my courage muscles to, to publicly share that information. I knew that our coaching community and online entrepreneurs and heart center entrepreneurs, they would totally get it and they do, but I just didn't know how that would be if someone came across me on a Google search or something. And sure. fortunately people have um, been very open to it and love the idea that it looks at law so differently. So I've been very grateful for that. Yeah. Yeah. But you're right. Like appearance is important and you have to appear super professional. You can't be, I don't know, the, the typical hippie. We're using that word a lot, but like, yes, yeah, that's right. And I'm glad you mentioned that because I am a gal for whatever reason, really likes conservative dressing. Like I like 
to wear dresses that are very corporate looking and I used to wear pearls and I, which are the Gemini's birthstone, I might add, but, um, you know, I just, I dressed very conservatively for lack of a better word, just very tailored, very, um, just corporate looking, but I'm also so far from that at the same time, I can dance in both worlds. And I think that it's interesting that we feel hippies have to look a certain way or act a certain way or be a certain way. And yet at the same time, why is it that we have to have an outward appearance to match values? Why can't we just, if we like wearing tailored clothes, wear tailored clothes, but if we all seem to be half hippie, be half hippie, like why, and have crystals in your legal office. Like why does it, why does that matter? Like we should just be able to be who we are and bring all of who we are together without people making assumptions based on how we look or dress or say what we say. Yeah. But it is hard, isn't it? To like show up fully as yourself. Like you said, it took two years with the chakras and it's the same for me. Like I dress like a preppy, I guess. Like I don't dress like a a hippie. It took me forever to wear dresses. I finally started wearing dresses. (laughs) Yeah. So I don't know. It takes, takes a while to, be able to express who we are. It does. And I think, I mean, I'm certainly still working on it and that, um, but what I love is being able to bring the part, the other part, like, I think when I was at the law firm, I didn't feel, perhaps they never said this, but I didn't feel that I could bring all of me into that job. They never said that there was no, they might look at me like I'm crazy to hear something like me saying that, but I felt like I couldn't, right. I felt like I had to fit into this mold. And um, and so I think part of it is us giving our own self permission to bring out parts of us that don't fit squarely into what we think something's supposed to look like or supposed to be. So for example, lawyers aren't supposed to have turkey feathers and crystals in their office, typically. Sure. <laughs> Some do. I'm not the only one out there, I'm sure. But, you know, it's not common. But yet, so it's just me giving myself permission to realize, oh, if I'm wearing a tailored dress and speaking on the stage about chakras, people might be scratching their head going, what? She's not fitting the mental image of what I thought to do with her. But yet at the same time, that's the gift that you give other people. You can show this part of you in one way and you can show that part of you in another way and you can bring all of you together without leaving a part of you behind. And I don't think we get that message enough. I feel like we all have to conform. And yet when we bring the unique parts of us into what we do, it gives permission to other people to do that as well. Yeah, that's so true. You're leading by example. Right, exactly. Not that we need our permission, but I'm just saying it's an you're setting you're showing an example of how to do it. And then someone else might be inspired to bring other parts of themselves into their business as well. And that's what makes the world richer, right? That's what makes us all so interesting. Because I think there's so many people, just like you and me, Tara, you have so many different parts of you. You have all these <laughs> amazing talents. And it's like You can bring out different ones at different times, but they're all part of you. And we get to own and show and showcase all the parts of you, just like all the parts of me and all the parts of everyone listening. We all do that. Exactly. But I do think somehow that idea of permission is, uh, it's comforting, right? When someone steps out and says, I did it, you can do it. Here's permission, do it, please. (laughs) Yes. 
I agree. I think you're right about that. It's some people don't like the word permission because I think they feel like, well, I don't need your permission to be me, but sure. But, um, and they certainly don't, but I love what you're saying that we're just sort of creating a visual representation of what something could be. And therefore they can look in themselves and see what they would like to be and know that it's not as scary. I think anytime people lead the way, um, and many, many people have led the way before you or me, Tara, but at least we're adding to that by bringing who we are. And, you know, it also took me several years before I wrote my book because I called it easy legal steps that are also good for your soul. And I was concerned, not again, not that people we know would like it or not, but I was worried about when you write a book, it's like out there forever. Now, today we can take it off of Amazon anytime, but when you wrote a book, it was out there forever and it was, people could find it and read it and that was, it felt very permanent to me. Again, today in this world, it's not as permanent as it used to be. You can just stop having it be digitally printed, but it felt permanent and it felt like a declaration of my values and the declaration of this owning all of yourself. And so it took me a while to be courageous there too. But each of these steps that we take, whether it's our clothes or writing a book or, you know, telling people you have turkey feathers in your office, each of these <laughs> steps, I think, can help people um, and just reinforce to ourselves that we are allowed to bring all of the parts of us into the work that we do and, and into our lives on a daily basis. We don't have to hide parts of ourselves, for sure. Yep. And I love the way that you do let your values shine and you do step forward with that and it's very admirable the way you do that. And when you visited last year, um, we talked about the certificate that you did from Harvard yeah. Business School online, the sustainable business strategy. Can you talk about that? Because I thought that was so awesome. Thank you. Tara, I don't know what I was thinking. I just decided, um, <laughs> actually, um, my father, who is no longer with us in this world, um, passed away two or three years ago. And he had a certificate in something different from Harvard many, many years ago. And um relating to higher education. And I thought, you know what? I, I just wanted to honor him. Um, and I also have a really strong desire to help the world do business differently and do business in a way that is consistent with honoring the environment and honoring people, um, and honoring, you know, how we use our land and how we use our resources. And, So I took, I went online and I applied to the Harvard um, Business School Online Certificate for Sustainable Business Strategy, as you mentioned, and I didn't know if they would accept me. I had no idea. Um, And I was really grateful and honored that they did. So it ended up being a four-week, I think, four-week program, maybe, where they said it would take 10 to 15 hours a week. And of course, it took like 25 to 30 hours a week. But what we did was fascinating. We, we studied modules just like we do in a lot of online courses, but we also had a small group and our small group, my small group consisted of, get this, there was one man who was from Saudi Arabia, who was responsible for um, bringing LED lighting into the largest factory in Saudi Arabia. He described their company as being kind of equivalent to like Nestle here in America. He didn't really have the exact equivalent, but so he brought LED lighting into all of their entire company across their country. And what was fascinating to me is we think about Saudi Arabia as being so rich in resources and oil and, you know, all of the fossil fuels. And yet he said, we in Saudi Arabia are recognizing that this is not, we're not going to have a permanent source of oil forever. We need yeah. to be more sustainable here in Saudi Arabia. So that was fascinating. Another guy was from Kazakhstan. 
And she had gone to MIT undergrad and she was getting ready to apply and go to business school. But um, she was back in Kazakhstan for a while and doing some interim work in Turkey. She was fascinating. Who would think someone from Kazakhstan would be in her small group? The other I know, that's amazing. For sustainability at Walt Disney companies. She was like in the work in the sustainability department. And the last girl had walked her Wall Street and she was changing jobs um, to do something entirely different, but she had come from a whole Wall Street perspective. So isn't that just fascinating how we- It's amazing, yeah. And they were equally fascinated with what I did as a lawyer in the online space and working with chakras as I was talking to the guy from Saudi Arabia going, wait, what? You're talking about sustainable energy in Saudi Arabia? Wait, wait a minute, what? (laughs) Amazing. It was amazing. But it was really hard course. Like, don't kid yourself. Harvard online is still Harvard. And it, I'm sure it wasn't <laughs> as difficult as being at Harvard for undergrad or graduate school. But it was definitely, um, you had to use a lot of thought, for sure. Okay, good. I really, really want to do that course. So it's been it. on my radar for a year, at least. You would love it. It is, it is a little scary, though, Tara, in that when you answer questions like so you read or watch a video and then you have to answer questions and it's seen by your they break you into groups um as well as the tiny small group you have this pod and so everyone in the pod sees your answer before you see anyone else's answer so you answer and these 200 people see your answer and then you see their answer and you comment on their answers and so that you have to flex your courage muscles for sure but it, yeah. it was really well, well done and worth the time and, and real. And we learned case studies from um, Walmart, believe it or not, and Lipton, believe it or not, Lipton Tea, about yeah. their sustainability um, actions. And, you know, Walmart's reduced their carbon emissions by 20% in three years or something like that. Like they're, they're committed on a scale that no, we don't, would never think of with Walmart. And Lipton Tea has trained 500 farmers how to farm sustainably and grow tea in Kenya, which most people don't think of tea being grown in Kenya, but it is. Um, yeah. And to teach those farmers how to teach 500 other farmers how to, and then they put money into schools and hospitals and education and land. And so to try to, and even changing the the type of tree that's used for part of their production to su- the fuel to support their their tea production, they changed it from a tree that that would re uh, would grow faster when it was replaced than the more traditional longer growing tree. Which who would even think of that? It was it was just amazing. It was amazing to think what these companies are doing that most of us have no idea. Like Walmart, for example, which we think of this giant company that's not always friendly to the local community or the business world um, yeah. and the struggles they went through with their shareholders to take money and invest in sustainability um, and actually reduce their stock shares um, in the process and the criticism they received and they did it anyway. And it's just fascinating, fascinating. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I love to see those examples because a lot of times in this sustainability space, we talk about greenwashing mm-hmm. and I don't like that term all the time because companies are taking genuine steps. They can't do everything a hundred percent sustainable immediately. They have to take steps. Just like we do. Just like, Mm -hmm. just like we have to be. (laughs) Exactly. Yeah. So when we criticize and we say a Walmart is greenwashing when they say they're, you know, changing all their energy or whatever that, 
sure, they are putting out a positive message, but they really are doing that work. We have to give them credit for that work. That's it. And they recognize that. Like they recognize that that part of it was kind of a PR message, but yet part of it is they stuck their necks out and received a lot of criticism. But um, it, and not that we need to dwell on Walmart, but, you know, Sam Walton's sure, sure. Um, philosophy was to actually take care of the local community. Like, who knew? And so yeah. after Katrina happened, the way that Walmart responded was they wanted to be very much in alignment with Sam Walton's values. And I'm not advocating for Walmart here just for anyone listening. I'm just sharing what I learned, which opened my eyes to say, wow, I had no idea. Um, there was yeah. a long way to go. But, <laughs> yeah. But, you know. And, and we can be critical of anyone's motives for why they're doing what they're doing. But to your point, Tara, they're still doing it. So, yep. um, you know, sometimes, I mean, I worked in charitable giving for 10 years and we always hear people make charitable gifts. Uh, and I, I mean, I personally raised over $32 million for charity. So like when people make charitable gifts, yes, we're helping nonprofits, you're helping social services, you're helping the world. And the person feels good about what they're doing and the person can take a tax deduction and the person <laughs> might receive recognition that might be important to them or to their business. So it, and that's okay. Like it's an, and yeah. everyone wins. So when you take it to the larger perspective of Walmart with the greenwashing, okay. So they get a PR out of it, but also the environment wins. So, yeah, you know, I just think we want to use some grace and be gentle and just support most people, most companies that are taking steps or individuals taking steps to try to make the environment a more sustainable, beautiful place and preserve it as much as possible. Mm-hmm. Yep. That's so cool. I'm glad that you learned about those big company examples in that program. And that just shows that you're a lifelong learner. So that's cool too. Oh my <laughs> are you kidding? I wish I could go to school forever. What can we learn next? <sighs> <laughs> What's, I'm just curious, what's something that frustrates you about the sustainability movement? Well, I think it's kind of to your point that we just talked about, Tara. I think people Mm. think it has to be an all or nothing situation or that um, people, and also the other thing that makes me a little crazy is just being critical on the surface without really knowing what's going on. Um, It is easy to point a finger at a company or point a finger somewhere without actually knowing what the the facts are behind it, what they actually are doing. So that can be a little um, frustrating. I understand. I totally understand. But I think anyone, maybe this is because I'm a lawyer and you were taught to see both sides. But, um, you know, I think there are two sides and you can feel very firmly and strongly in your position. No question. And just like in law school, they teach us to learn the strongest argument on the other side. They mm-hmm. keep your eyes open and actually look at what's happening on the other side and look at the strongest arguments on the other side and put yourself in that person's position. In law school, they teach you that so you can argue against it properly, but also just so you can recognize and see it. Like lawyers really aren't about hiding evidence. Lawyers are about bringing all the evidence to surface and then figuring out which side of the evidence benefits your client and which side doesn't benefit your client. But you have to look at the whole picture and with an op- fairly open mind, and then you can take your position. So I think sometimes when people just want to put their fingers in their ears and go, la, 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 I don't want to know what to do, la, 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 I don't think that's helpful to their cause. <laughs> I think they yes. have to know what's happening so that they can actually have a stronger argument for their position. Now I'm sounding like a lawyer for sure. <laughs> I mean, it definitely complicates things though, and it makes of all of this sustainability and everything 
more complicated. It's not a bumper sticker thing. Like you have to think about stuff. Yeah. And, and I think like any change, you know, it's really hard to turn a ship. A ship yes. has been operating the same way for decades or some cases, even centuries that, you know, we turning a ship, don't you hear, and I won't get this completely correctly, but like when you turn a ship one degree, it takes like forever for it to actually move that one degree in the water. It's the same type of thing. So baby steps count, um, trying to give credit where credit is due counts, and you can still be critical of things that you don't like. It's always about the and. I have a lighted ampersand in my office because I'm all about the and. It's both and. Both the company is like Walmart is taking some sustainability practices and moving forward, which again, I had no idea of until I took that Harvard Business School class. And they also are doing some things that are not great for the environment yeah. or for people or for human resources. Or they, It's an and, but we have to help them move in the right direction. Um, one thing I will say really quickly about Walmart, a case study that I thought was fascinating was they wanted to help um, reduct reduce plastic, the use of plastic. So, and also reduce carbon emissions from trucking products to their stores. Again, win-win for both sides. But what they did was they actually Mm -hmm. got, there's only six producers of laundry detergent, either in the world or in the US or six major producers, I should say. But they got all six of them together. Harvard, I'm sorry, Walmart paid for all of the chemical lab research, all the marketing research, and got all six of those companies to reduce the size of their laundry detergent into that small and mighty size. And Mm. they did it by keeping the proportions intact of the chemical formulas for each so that those that were more expensive had whatever they have in them, the proportion was kept the same as those that were less expensive. And they were able to reduce water, reduce carbon emissions, reduce plastic, reduce um, shelf space, reduce like all these things that had benefits on both sides for sure. Walmart benefited, but the laundry detergent companies benefited too. And they didn't have to pay anything to make that happen. And that's pretty powerful, I think, of what one decision by one company can do and bring people together to change um, the use of resources on the planet. Yeah, that's awesome. I wonder what spurred that, like if they had an internal mission to do that, or if it was from pressure from consumers to be like, you guys need to do better with plastic. I'm just part of that. They have a three point sustainability, at least at the time I took the course, they have a three point Mm. part sustainability plan. And part of that was reducing the carbon emissions. Um, And I don't know if it was driven by the plastics or the carbon emissions, honestly, Tara, but it also had the benefit that they talked about extensively about conserving water because apparently Mm. a vast proportion of laundry detergent is water not the actual detergent. And so why yeah. in the world are we shipping all these huge, heavy containers of water when you <laughs> add water to it in your laundry? <laughs> yes. It doesn't make any sense. So I think they no. their heads and said, wait a minute, this doesn't make any sense. How can we do this differently? That's true. So I think we need more ships like Walmart yeah. that can make big changes, right? Yes, absolutely. And and we still need voices saying, Walmart, you're not doing enough. You need to do more. So it's definitely, an, we need both for sure. Yes, for sure. Yeah, because they're not an angel company, but they can make positive changes. So yes, yeah, exactly. And I was shocked. I had no idea. I like to think of myself as a reasonably informed person, but I really had no idea. Um, And same with Lipton Tea. I had no Mm -hmm. idea what they were doing also for primarily sustainability in Africa. It was quite astounding and wonderful. 
I think what's encouraging about both of those examples is how somebody's just thinking outside the box. Like mm-hmm. somebody said, why are we shipping water in detergent when you're adding water in your washing machine? Let's fi- find a better way to not ship detergent, th- which will lower the carbon emissions. And same with the tea tree that you exactly. mentioned. Let's make a better t- tree that yeah. is more sustainable. Mm-hmm. Yes. Like let's think of a better way to do it. And the hard part, both of those companies had to take money out of their earnings and redirect that money towards these sustainability practices, which caused them to quote, lose money. Like they didn't make as much money in that timeframe in that quarter or that year or whatever it was. And so they received a lot of pushback, pushback on national television when they went on MSNBC or they went on CNBC or they went on whoever's money show or whatever. And they received criticism that they dealt with and their shareholders were angry. Their board was partially in favor of it and not in favor of it. And it was, it was a, uh, again, I know they still have tons of work to do, but in that moment, it was a courage. Both those companies made a courageous decision to stand in the face of that scrutiny to say, "Hey, whoa, listen! It's not just about profits here, people. Like, we really do need to do this for the betterment of the planet in the long term. Is it going to hurt us in the short term? Yes, but is it important for us to do it in the long term? Yes. Do we have these values that we're going to stand by and do it because we believe in this? Yes. Are we going to do it anyway? Yes. Here we go. And we did it. So that part, I think, um, that courage is is commendable. We need more companies being courageous like that. Yeah, for sure. And it takes creative thinking to come up with these different solutions and open-mindedness to actually do it. That's right. That's right. That's exactly. Again, it's turning that ship that one degree and it can make such a huge difference, but someone's got to have the courage to turn the ship. Yep. And then they do get the positive PR and people get a little, people like me get a little more open-minded, like, oh, I wonder what else good this company is doing in the world. So totally like that Walmart example, I just like everyone else, I was very critical of, you know, well, but, but, you know, Sam Walton had a vision apparently of wanting, he, the reason why he created Walmart is so people with lower means would have um, more local access to get goods they need at a lower rate in their own neighborhood. And they wouldn't have to take a bus an hour across town because they didn't have stores in their local neighborhood and urban neighborhoods or rural neighborhoods. His whole point was to try to bring low cost resources to people in areas where they can access them without having to travel somewhere, without having to pay more money, without having to pay in transportation, without having to find someone to watch their children so they can take an hour long bus ride to go across town to get it. Like the goal was very heart centered actually. And his initial vision was very heart centered. Certainly there's profit in that too. But if you look at the reason why he created it, it, then it just grew out of control. And it is why people were upset, of course, about Walmart putting mom and pop stores out of business and things like that. Um, But again, it's an and it it was, it uh, it was just very enlightening to learn about. Yeah, Hmm. Mm -hmm. that's true. Thank you for sharing those examples. It's really, really cool. It is. It's very cool. And there's so much more work to be done. And, and even, you know, even in small ways as entrepreneurs or business owners or just people, we think about like how much paper are we using and how much plastic are we using? And I know we think about this and we read about it and hear about it all the time, but when you really stop and sit down and think, okay, in my office, what do I print? What do I need to print? What do I want to print? As lawyers, we're trained to print a lot because we have to have files. And um, it's interesting, like, you know, there used to be lawyers in the office and granted things weren't as computerized back then. They would have stacks of 
files from like the floor to the ceiling, but they could pick out exactly where some client's file was, where they needed it. Oh, oh my God. To print it for evidence, right? And now we have electronic evidence. We can keep things electronically, but if you update a hard drive, you have to save that hard drive and then figure out later where that client's work is on the hard drive. If you have four hard drives lined up in your closet because you've saved your book <laughs> in the past however many years. So like, it's not as simple as it sounds just to not print something, but yet to be very conscious of, which I am now much more conscious of um, how much paper I use and, and using scraps of paper and backs of paper. And, you know, I, I have client notes written on the backsides of printed documents. Like I don't, it doesn't, why does it need to be a blank piece of paper? Like who cares? Just write the notes on an available piece of paper that you can, are basically reusing so that you can be paper on the planet. And I write notes on scraps all the time and it doesn't have to be a fancy $10 post-it block from the local staples store. Like who cares? Just use what you have. And, and we don't always think that we have to operate that way. Sometimes we do it out of financial necessity, but to do it as a conscious choice is very empowering as well. Mm, yeah. Thank you for bringing that up, how empowering it is. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Because we don't want to feel poor. That's not fun for anybody. And writing on something that's already been written on maybe makes you feel poor, but it's not. It's a conscious choice to go, I'm going to do better. I'm going to use less resources. Yes, exactly. Yeah. And actually you feel I feel richer because I feel like I'm making a choice to help the environment and to preserve resources in a way that I can do. Like it is a very empowering, it's so minor, it's a tiny step. Again, the 1% turning the ship. Like we can all make choices like that that aren't difficult. I mean, I have boxes of pens in my house from who knows where random you know, you pick up random pens or you get a random pen here or where, I mean, we, I haven't bought a pen in seven years because of (laughs) what I have, like things like that, you know, it doesn't have to be difficult, you know, just recycle, use, use cardboard boxes to store files and use what you have from your prior house or your prior apartment or like, just use what you have. Think about just using what you have first and then go and buy what you need. Something simple that can make a difference. Exactly. Well, I'm curious now, Lisa, what's something you wish you were doing better for the planet? Mm, That's a great question. Well, um, I still am very uh, conscious about that paper situation because I do Mm -hmm. some things, uh, not as much as I used to, but I try to be conscious about that. I would like to keep doing better about that. Um, and also, um, I'm a huge fan of the paper folder. (laughs) Okay. That sounds silly too, but you know what? I reuse my paper folders. I, oh yeah. I don't even print labels. I write them with a pen. And then if that, if I don't need that folder anymore, I put a sticker on it and I write over it with a pen and I use it again. I use it again. I, I have folders I discovered from when I worked at the law firm. So that was in the latest I was there was the year um, 2000. So that's 20 years. I've used (laughs) folders for 20 years. Like that's adorable actually. Yeah. But like, why do I need to buy new folders when I can just reuse the old ones? So I'm, I'm working on the paper situation, but um, I'm not perfect at it for sure, but I'm trying. Yeah. Yeah. That's cute. I haven't had paper on my desk forever. And actually I just found a reusable like planner like a notebook that you can write in and then the paper is some special kind of paper where I spray it with water and I can wash it off and then reuse it wow 
that's I'm fancy, the- Tara. That's pretty cool. Yes. But I think because I, I mean, I'm, I'm 50. So like I grew up in an age where most of what I learned was without a computer. We didn't have computers yeah. until I was in law school. Basically we had word processors in college, but we didn't. So I'm used to, I write, I need to use the pen and write a lot of things on paper because that's how my brain learned how to do it. Yes. So I'm, yeah. you know, I can draft things on a computer, but there are times when I still need to, my brain wants to write it with a pen on a piece of paper. So, yep. um, yeah, you know, it's, uh, it's an and it's an and. I hear you though. I have the worst handwriting ever, but there is something magical about writing things down and getting it out of your head. Like yeah. typing it out doesn't do That's the it. same thing for me. That's and right. I'm on a computer all the time. That's right. There's just a soul connection from your hand to a paper. Yeah. So, I well, you at least have the fancy paper you can erase. And for journaling, <laughs> like I think for people who like to journal, they need to hand write it rather than type it. Typing can be helpful, yes. again, like you said, sometimes, but the handwriting or drawing, some people doodle when they think, some people, yeah. And now there are ways with iPads and things you can do that more with the pen. And, but we just didn't, we didn't used to have that. I think it's an evolution. It's an, it's an evolution. As technology improves, our brains get rewired as well for better and for worse, right? For better. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Yeah. <laughs> I did just find a new paper plan, like a new paper notebook that took forever because I wanted one <laughs> that didn't have plastic. It wasn't wrapped in plastic oh, because I, that's my thing is plastic. Plastic. Okay. And I'm like, why is a, a stack of paper wrapped in plastic? <laughs> I don't need. <laughs> exactly. That's a great example. Just- <laughs> makes no sense to me. And it took me a, over a month to find a notebook that wasn't wrapped in plastic, but I did wow. it and I have it now <laughs> for my morning pages. Like, do you do morning pages? I, I need actually, to do but I know what they are. I know what you mean. Yeah. And I needed it for that. So now I have it and no more excuses to not do morning wow. pages. See, sometimes I use my little quirks as an excuse to not do what I should. Like, oh, well, I can't journal because I don't have a journal that's not wrapped in plastic. Tara, just buy a journal. <laughs> but I do love your dedication to the cause to try to work, wait, and find the right journal for you um, <laughs> that didn't have paper or plastic wrapped around it. Yes. Yeah, I get it. Well, and timing is divine and timing is always on time. So maybe it doesn't have time for you to write your morning papers until you found that exact journal. Yeah. And you know what I did, Lisa? Same thing as you. I I actually dug through all of my old stuff. Like I was looking in a closet here and I found a bunch of little journals that I had never used, little notebooks, and they're all weird sizes. And I was like, I haven't used these. I might as well use these until I find the one that's not wrapped in plastic. Perfect. Good work. <laughs> Way to be resourceful. <laughs> Thanks. Resourceful. I love it. And also stubborn. But thank you for resourceful yeah. is a better word. No, I mean, you were intentional. I liked yes. you as being intentional, Tara. <laughs> Thanks. And when we were in Portugal, we were very intentional about where we ate dinner, and we appreciated that as well. Oh, thank you. I did try to find a place that would make all of us happy. I'm not trying to force myself on everybody. No, you were great. You picked a really healthy restaurant that had a lot of different options. And um, the food was, you could tell it was sustainably sourced and it was local and it was delish. Really good. Yeah. Good. I'm glad you liked it. Yeah, we loved it. Okay. I have one last question for you. Okay. Are you optimistic about the future of climate change and sustainability and all of this? 
Yes, 100% optimistic. But, oh, good. Oh, completely. Because number one, it's already happening. You know, it was interesting um, when, if you were listening to the presidential debates here in the U.S., and I don't know if you were in Portugal at all, but I was political science major, so I, I was. <laughs> and, um, you know, it was interesting because there was some criticism given to one of the candidates about the climate change situation. And the answer I wish they had given was that in the five largest states in the U.S. that are involved with um, fuel, uh, fossil fuel production, there are those same exact states and companies are already investing quite surprisingly, in um, air and in water and in um, other forms of natural energy. And I was shocked and bummed out that he didn't actually share that. Perhaps he didn't have the information off the top of his head, but it's already happening. So you have huge corporate, like listen to the guy in Saudi Arabia, for example, from (laughs) school class, he was just a mid-level guy in his career, you know, he wasn't running the show, but he was, it was very clear. He said that their president of their country was very focused on coming up with all new sources of fuel. So I think it's going to happen whether um, the people will resist because they always resist the boat turning, the ship turning, but mm-hmm. it's already happening. And there's, you know, they predict by the year 2030, most 90% of cars produced will be electric cars. And they predict even in five years then that cars will be primarily electric or electric and gas fueled. Like it's just happening. So there's, um, there's a need to help people feel safe, I think, while the transition is happening, because people feel there'll be loss of jobs or communities will fold. And I understand that, you know, that's happened when our manufacturing left our country in great droves. It really devastated certain small towns and cities in many ways that were difficult. But I think to help provide reassurance to people that as this alternative fuel source, for example, movement is happening, it doesn't mean you're just going to be, we're just dropping fossil fuel altogether. It's a transition. And if you bring people along and, and what they've done is actually retrain some of the workers in fossil fuels to work on the alternative energy sources. So it's just a matter of retraining or refocusing and shifting. It's not a matter of abandoning. And I think that can provide some reassurance to people who are just nervous about losing their job or their career or their the livelihood of their town. And that's understandable. I think that's understandable. Yeah. As always, you're so compassionate and that's exactly right. Like it is a transition and nobody's getting dumped and also like sustainable jobs, whether it's installing solar panels, those are local jobs. Yeah, we need we need local production and local installation of alternative energy. Good point, Tara. So, I mean, the fear could be that people will have skills that aren't usable or that they're afraid they're, quote, too old to learn something new or their yeah. union won't support learning something new. I don't know what it is necessarily other than just fear of change, perhaps. I've been doing it this way for 30 years. Why do I have to do it a different way or whatever? But you're right. Yeah. Like there's it, And they've also said, too, with... There's a lot of fear around technology and um, AI coming. And and what was interesting is I just read an article recently about how AI also creates different jobs. And we, yeah. we think that it's replacing something, but it actually just creates a different type of job. And as keeping that in mind, it is scary because you don't know how it will affect you or if you have to make changes specifically in your own profession or your own job. But um, recognizing, oh, we're just shifting. We're just transitioning. It's, it doesn't mean that all will be for naught. Yes. Brilliant. I love it. Thank you for 
giving me a little more optimism. I'm not always so optimistic, but you're like 100%. So good. Um, Thank you. (laughs) I mean, is the climate still being harmed on a daily basis? Absolutely. Are we way behind the eight ball that people have been talking about for 50 years? Absolutely. And, and I think that it's going to move this direction, whether people want it to or not. It's like, you can argue that there's no such thing as gravity. There's still gravity. It's true. true. You know, people, especially today in this world where people say, oh, facts, how do you know whose facts to believe? Like, I don't know. People are just, you know, their facts are wrong. Our facts are right. Your facts. There are absolute facts. Like one. There are facts. Yeah. Three. Like it just doesn't. Gravity exists, whether you think it doesn't or not. You can stand there till you're blue in the face and tell me it doesn't exist. It does. So there are things that are, they're just they're already happening. It's just people don't know about it. Kind of like the Lipton and the Walmart we were talking about. People just don't know that they're happening, I think. Um, yeah. And they're not loud about it until they're partly, probably due to competitiveness. They don't want to share all their secrets with the world unless they're Elon Musk, who will tell every car company how to make a Tesla. Um, <laughs> very rare and very generous, actually. Whether you like Tesla or not, it's a very generous way to operate a business. Um but I think I mean, part of it you can see for they they just want to maintain a competitive edge or whatever for for better or for worse that's fine they're allowed to do that sure. I think they're doing it I still think they're doing it yeah in the right direction for sure yeah good thank you for sharing all of these examples with us. Well, you, you're giving me hope. Good. I'm so glad. Well, we have to have hope. This is the other thing. Hope is what drives us forward to take positive steps in action. Then we have to believe it's worthwhile and believe it matters and know that it matters. And even if no one else thinks that it matters, we know that it matters. So like Tara, with you, with your journal search to find a journal without plastic on it, someone could argue that's just one journal with one piece of plastic on it. Why is she doing that? But it matters and it matters to you yeah. and it matters to the environment. And so we if we can all just be very clear about what we're willing to do and then do that, the planet will still be benefited, whether other people know about it or not, whether other people are aware of it, it's still happening. You're still using a journal with no plastic on it. And for that one journal, you just made a difference and all the small differences add up. That's how I believe. And um, hopefully that is, can be inspiring for other people to, to look at it that way too. I do too. I do think all of our little things make a difference and add up. And sure, there's big corporate responsibility that needs to happen, but we all have a role to play. So Yes, because if the corporations are putting Coca-Cola in big, giant two-liter bottles, there's still people buying the plastic two-liter bottles. <laughs> I know. If they stop buying the two-liter plastic bottles, they would not be making two-liter plastic bottles. So it goes both ways for sure. Yep. I believe that a hundred percent. We can't put all the blame on them because they're doing it for us. That's right. That's right. Yeah. Yep. It goes both ways. Mm. Well, that's all I have for you. Do you have any questions for me? No, Tara, this was wonderful. Thank you so much for all the work that you've done in the technology side and for helping business owners and also in the work that you're doing now as a half hippie and helping <laughs> half hippies feel like it's okay to be just a half hippie and not a whole hippie um, <laughs> and just inspiring people that what they do does matter and that they can take steps and that we're all in it together and we're all moving the country forward together and the planet forward together and the world together. Um, that's you're, it's very inspiring. So thank you so much for having me and thank you for inviting me to share this conversation with you.
Yeah. Thank you too. I absolutely am so grateful that you are doing the work that you do as a lawyer and a half hippie and a soul, soul powered entrepreneur. Like your work is so cool. And I'm honored that you were here with me today. Thank you, Tara. Thank you so much. What a fun conversation. Lisa is so smart and I love the perspective that she brings to her work as an attorney and a legal coach for entrepreneurs. We didn't talk very much about that, but her approach is so compassionate and down to earth. And then I just happened to know this other side of her that's very hippie and I knew she would be a perfect fit for the podcast. So I'm really glad we got to make that happen. I did want to mention like the legal documents that she creates for entrepreneurs and for business owners are so fantastic because they are easy to read and they're compassionate and just normal like it it, you don't need a lawyer to read a contract with me for example and I got all of my documents from Lisa so I'm gonna link to that on the show notes if you scroll down or if you go to the halfhippiepodcast.com on the website I'll link to her documents so you can go check them out if you need any legal documents I always suggest getting them from Lisa because She's just such a cool person. And also check out Lisa on her social media. I'll post her Instagram and Facebook for you as well so you can check her out. She also had a podcast and her book. So much good stuff. So if you're wondering how to be legal in your business, definitely check out Lisa Fraley. So thank you, Lisa, for being with me. Thank you for listening. And I will talk to you soon.